Awesome. Thank you very much. Take a seat. Take a seat. Nice. Thank you, Ben. How good are our band? Pretty, pretty stellar. Hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor uh, and just say, you know, you're looking really good tonight. You know, it might be, it might be the low lights, but uh, I think, I think you're truly looking pretty good tonight. You know, maybe, maybe you're single here tonight. Maybe they're single. Maybe you just want to ask them for their phone, put your number in it, say that handsome dude you met at church. You know, you know, you never know. Hey, it's got quiet for a second. <laughs> very cool, very cool. Hey, uh, it's a privilege uh, and an honor to, to get to be here again tonight. Who was here this morning? It was good, eh? good fun. Oh man, lots of you. It's a similar, similar message, but I think it's, I think it's important, right? And um, I, was, I was walking uh, this afternoon in the sunshine. Who's enjoying the sunshine at the moment? Do you know one of my favorite things about sunshine is how it makes your clothes smell? Does anyone else, does anyone else find that? Like, no, no one else. Maybe it's just I've been washing my clothes wrong and, and they smell funny, right? But I find when you, when you walk in the sunshine, you're like, come out of the sunshine, you smell your clothes, and they, they just smell like just real good. It's like happiness. Does anyone, anyone else get that? No, just Jono. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, we'll stop sharing Jono anecdotes and we'll read some Bible because Bible's got some more biblical truth, right? I want to um, start off by, by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, and, and over the next couple of weeks, uh, this week and next week, we're really going to focus in as a church on this idea of thanksgiving, right? This idea of what does it mean to be a people that are thankful? This idea of what does it mean to be a people that, that thank God for what we have and, and change the way that we see the world in doing so, right? Uh, every November as a church, uh, we always choose as a, as a Quippers church nationwide, perhaps even internationally, we choose to, to be a people that give thanks, to be a people that, that choose to say, you know, you, you might have seen on Facebook that, that hashtag, I am thankful, right? And, and to you, it might seem contrite. To you, it might seem like a, just another thing to do. But the, the reason that we do it and, and the reason that, that I know that I do it for me is it expands the way that I see the world, right? I, I, I talked about this morning, and I want to touch on it again tonight. I think the key to thanksgiving is that it changes our perspective, right? It might not necessarily initially change the way that our world is, but it changes the way that we see it, right? And so I, I want to start by looking in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but before we do, I just need to give you some background on who Timothy is, right? Not, not Timothy, Timothy. We have a Timothy with us today, but, but Timothy in, in the Bible, right? Timothy is, he's a, um, a protege of, of a guy named Paul, right? And Paul was originally called Saul, and, and he was a guy who, who went around killing Christians, putting them to death. And then he encounters Jesus, right? Not Jesus, like, walking on the earth, Jesus, but Jesus supernatural. Jesus reincarnated. Jesus appears on the road to Damascus, and, and Paul falls off his donkey and, and goes blind. And he realizes that these Christians he's been persecuting have actually been following the one true God. So, so his life changes, and he goes from there to, to go all around the world telling everyone that he can meet that, that Jesus is real and that he loves them and that he died for their sins and that they don't have to go through the religious laws and the order and everything else that they've been tied up in anymore, but that Jesus wants to meet them where they are. And, and Timothy is this guy that he meets along the way. And he gets Timothy to, to lead one of his churches. And so Timothy's leading this church, and the church is around about 15,000 people, which is a pretty big church, right? And, and it gets even bigger when we realize that, that in the world at that time, because of the, the amount of people that were alive, that church is actually around about a million people. If it was a church today, it would be a church of around about a million people, right? So, so, so we need to understand that, first of all, Timothy's a, a high-capacity leader. Right? He, he's, not, 
He's not incompetent at what he's doing. He's, he's a good leader. He seems to, to know what he's doing. Timothy, you could say, is, is the, the Robin to Paul's Batman. That's how I like to think of him. There you go, some insight into how I read the Bible. Right, but, but here Timothy is, and, and Paul writes these letters to Timothy. These letters encouraging him, these letters spurring him on, these letters calling him to, to push further, to go, go further than he has before. And, and this letter here, 1 Timothy, is one of these two letters, First and Second Timothy. And, and I want to start at, uh, at chapter 6, verse 6, and we're going to read through to verse 10. It says this, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Why don't you bow your heads with me and I'm just going to pray. God, I thank you for our opportunity to come here tonight, that we get to lean in and, and to listen to what it is that you're saying. God, I pray that, that as we're here, as we're in this moment, as we've made this space, that, that you would meet us here. God, that, that as I'm speaking, that, that you would do something between me uh, uttering the words and, and then landing in our hearts, that you'd do something there in between and, and not, what, not what I'm saying would come across, but that what you would say we would land in our hearts, God, that, that we would hear you speaking to us uh, so clearly, that we would go from here knowing what it is that you've said to us, knowing who you've called us to be, knowing what you say about who we are, that we would leave different than when we came in. Thank you, God, for the honor and the privilege it is to be able to be your people. Amen. How many of you uh, here, here tonight are on Instagram? All right, anyone here on Instagram? Anyone here on Instagram tonight, right? You're like, yeah, John, I'm listening to you preach, but actually, I'm checking my Instagram. Anyone, anyone on Instagram? Sorry, hold up your hands real nice and high. Nice and high. Oh, beautiful. You guys are artistic geniuses. Who's on, who's on Facebook, right? Oh, there we go. Face, Facebook wins against Instagram. Everyone's like, ah, Instagram, I just have to take pictures. I can't write words. I prefer my words, right? Uh, I, I think Instagram and Facebook, they're, they're awesome, right? They're, they're good fun. Anyone agree? Does anyone have like a love-hate relationship with Facebook a little bit? Like you've got this, like, you don't know what you did to yourself. You, you thought it was a good idea to, to join Facebook, and, and now you can't quite remove yourself from it, and yet you hate every minute, right? See, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, we post photos of our life, right? We, we, we update our statuses, and, and it's great because we can see which friends care for us, right? We, we can see through, through Facebook which friends vote for us, right? Who, who's going to give us a like? Who's going to give us that heart on Facebook? Who really appreciates us? We can quantify it in a number, how important am I today to the people around me, right? Which isn't exactly true. It's not actually at all true. It's, it's a total wrong representation, and yet something within us loves that moment when we can see, oh, yeah, no, I must be doing good today. Look how many likes we got on the status. Oh, man, I, I must be doing good today. Look, look, look how many likes I got on this photo. Look how many views my video got, right? It ends up in this, this dangerous world. It's, a, it's an incredible way to either feel emotionally insecure or to feel awesome. There's not really ever a middle ground, right? You either post a status and you feel great about yourself, or you post a status and you feel horrible about yourself. Neither of which are actually the right way to feel about yourself, right? If we stop for a minute and realize that, you know, our whole kind of sense of worth in that moment is based on people clicking on a screen, it kind of seems ridiculous. 
And yet here we are in this space. See, I, I don't mind Instagram. I don't mind Facebook as long as we understand that it's not real. Right? All, all, all that, that, that cropping and, and the filtering and the taking 20 photos and choosing the just right one where you can't see a double chin anymore. Right? It's not real. It's not an accurate representation of life. See, as long as we understand that, we'll be fine. Because Instagram, Facebook, is, it's not always the most encouraging medium in your life. Right? Do, do you know what I'm saying? As, as you're scrolling through, right? Imagine you, you've got your Facebook up on your phone. Some of you don't have to imagine you're on Facebook right now, right? And, and you're scrolling through, and, and, and you're kind of looking, and, and, and you're scrolling through, and, and, and FOMO begins to set in, right? Fear of missing out. You start scrolling through, and you're like, oh, 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 wow. wow. Oh, look, they're doing something amazing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. Oh, their life's better than my life. Wow. Wow. Um. Right, and somewhere within the, the half hour kind of scroll, 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 you start off feeling all right about your day and you end up muttering to yourself as you've been scrolling for the 300th time, man, I just really hate my life. <laughs> Has anyone ever had that feeling? Let's be honest, safe space, right, safe space. It's quite dark, no one can see you if you raise your hand, just me. Right, that, that feeling where you're, you're there and, and, and you're looking through and you're like, oh man, good for them, right? I'm, I'm super happy that they're on a cruise. I'm super happy that, that they have a nice car, that, that they've got a new house. I'm so happy that, that they've got a, a beautiful, you know, partner. I'm, I'm super happy that they don't have to be sitting inside all day working. I'm super happy that they pass their exams, right? And, and you're looking through, and, and what's wrong with us, right? The space where, where we have this medium that we're so attached to, that, that kind of just makes us, if we're honest, at times hate ourselves and hate other people. Right, we're in this space where, you know, there's, there's an institute in, uh, in Denmark called the Happiness Research Institute, right? If there's anywhere you can work, I think that's a good place to work, right? It's just got a good name. You imagine, you know, imagine like, you know, you're, you're at a family dinner or you're, you're at your high school 10-year reunion. Some of you, that's quite a far away way because you're still in like fourth form. But, you know, you're there and, and you walk up to someone and they're like, hey, how you doing, Jono? And you're like, oh, great. Like, what have you been up to? Oh, I've been working at the Happiness Research Institute. You're like, that's not real. Yes, it is. Right? So it's a weird place to work. What do you do? I research happiness. Are you happier for it? Not really, but, you know, I get to find out why other people are happy. That's fantastic. Right? And, and so this place, the Happiness Research Institute, a real place, you can look it up, in Denmark, it, it carried out an experiment recently, right, where it got 1,095 people, and it divided them into two groups, right? The, the, the first group had to stop using Facebook. Stop using Facebook altogether for, for, I think it was three months. And the other group were just the control group, right? They, they, nothing changed. If they used Facebook, they continued using Facebook. If they didn't really use it, they continued not really using it. But, but that group stayed exactly the same. The other group banned from Facebook, right? No more Facebook for you. They must have offered them some sort of money or something, right? Because Facebook's like crack. So they had to starve off the addiction. They're getting the cold sweat. So like, need to go on Facebook. No, got to get, gotta get the, the McDonald's voucher. I don't know what it was. That's what I would give them, right? But, but they, they'd been doing it for just a week, right? Just a week. And, and, and they got the people in, and, and, they, and they gave them a whole lot of questions, right? They got these people in, and they, they asked the, the quit Facebook group a whole lot of questions, and they asked the still on Facebook group a whole lot of questions. And one of the questions they asked them was, uh, how satisfied are you with your life? Right? If someone was to ask you that today, what would your answer be? Right? How satisfied are you with your life? Maybe you'd be pretty satisfied. Maybe you'd be totally dissatisfied. I hate my life. It's horrible, right? Somewhere in between. Some of you would just be like, oh, I don't really know. I haven't thought about it. Why do you ask me these hard questions? 
right? But they asked him this question, how satisfied are you with your life? And of the group that hadn't been on Facebook, the group that had to quit Facebook, 88% of them described themselves as happy with their life in comparison to the other group, which was 81%, right? Which isn't that great a change. 7% change, could be error, you know, bit of statistical fluctuation, right? And then they went on uh, to ask them, uh, if they appreciate their lives, right? And, and 84% said they appreciated their lives in comparison to 75% in the other group, right? So 84% of the quit group said, yeah, I appreciate my life. I feel grateful for my life. I feel thankful for my life. In, in comparison to, to 75% who said, nah, I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. See, so what's happening here is, is then they went on to say, that to ask these guys, right, the quit Facebook group, are you dissatisfied with your life, right? Not, not are you satisfied, not are you happy, but, you know, are you just hating it, right? And, and of this group, 12% said they were dissatisfied compared to 20%, right? And see, what's happening here is, is in other words, Facebook users are 39% more likely to feel less happy than non-users, Right, here's a study that proves to us in hard, concrete numbers, using Facebook makes us less happy than if we didn't. Right, and, and yet, who here, after hearing that, is like, yeah, no, I'm going to quit Facebook? Right, who here is, is confident that, that after a week, they will still be quit Facebook? Right, it's, it's this, this, this addiction, this, this place. See, social media is not aiding our efforts towards being content with our lives, towards being happy with, with here we are. And, and let's be honest, you're starting to think, maybe if you're here this morning, you already realize, I might be speaking about contentment tonight. Right, and if we put out a flyer advertising tonight, you know, what, what's it going to be about? And, and the banner said contentment, you'd probably be like, oh, maybe give it a miss. Maybe I'll show up in a couple of months' time when we're talking about sex. You know, it's a bit more racy. It might be a bit awkward that it'd be funny. Right, but, but contentment, it's not a sexy topic. It's not a topic that, that really jumps out at us, right? When is the last time that, that you, you rang up maybe a mentor or a friend and you said, hey, can we meet and talk about contentment? Right, I'd really just like to discuss my current contentment levels. I really want to talk to you about how I can be more content. No, 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 we, we meet to discuss, man, I really want to, I, wa I want to dream more. Man, I, I, I want to have more ambition. I want to, I want to strive more. And these things aren't bad things, but in our Western culture, we overlook contentment, right? Contentment isn't sexy. We in the Western world, we want to be CEO or COO. We just want to have our name end in an O, right? Chief something officer. Just make me the best, Make me feel important. Make me, make me satisfied with where I am, right? We, we think that we need drive and, and passion and ambition and success, not contentment. Contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. Tonight, if you were to ask yourself and, and honestly answer the question, are you satisfied? Tonight, when you walked in here, did you feel satisfied with your life? Did you feel like, like you were satisfied with where things were going? Are you content? It, it can feel biblical to say no. No, I'm not content. No, I'm pushing forward. No, I'm, I'm striving. God, I'm, I'm taking ground, and that's important. But at the same time, God calls us to be content. See, this is what Paul is speaking to when he writes to Timothy. Let, let's break it down, though, right? Have you ever met a content person? 
like a, a truly content person. If you have, did you like it? Right? Of course you loved it. See, a content person is amazing. A content person is someone who celebrates your success rather than pulling you down to make themselves feel better. Right? A content person is someone who champions you to do better regardless of how it makes them feel or look. A content person, we all know that person that's just a little bit too content. Right, and we love hanging out with them, but at the same time, we kind of just hate them because they make us realize how uncontent we are with our lives. Man, I wish I was more like them. Why are they so satisfied? Why are they, why are they so happy with where they are? Right, contentment is appealing. Socrates, you didn't think we were going to quote Socrates today, did you? We are. Right, Socrates says, he who is not content with what he has would not be content with what he would like to have. Right, hear that one more time. Let, let, let that get into your brain. He who is not content with what he has would not be content with what he would like to have. Right, basically what it's saying is if you're not happy with what you have now, if you can't be thankful now, when you get that thing that you want, when you get that thing that you're dreaming of, when you get that dream comes to fruition, you still won't be happy. Right, well, which doesn't make sense to us. Right, no, 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 you don't understand, Jono. I want this one thing and then I'm going to be happy, right? I want, this, I want this one job. I want this one dream. I want to meet this, this one girl. I, I want to move to the, this one city. I want to make this one amount of money. I want to buy this one house, this one car, this one whatever, and then I'm going to be happy. It's just, it's the golden ticket. It's the holy grail. It's the one thing that I'm waiting for, that I'm aiming for. When I get this, life will be complete. But, but if you've lived any longer than like two years, you probably realize that, that that toy that seems so shiny, right? That, that job that seems so alluring, that, that person that seemed like they would complete you, no matter how good they are, they never fill that hole, right? They never lead us to contentment. And so what do we do, right? If we're in this, this month of Thanksgiving, if we're all about being a thankful people, how do we do it? If all of the things that we chase, that, that we think will meet our need, that will make us content, that will lead us to happiness, don't, are we just stuck? Are we up a creek without a paddle, just doomed to a life of discontentment? Right? I, I want to argue tonight, no. See, this is what Paul is speaking to when he writes to Timothy. Paul understands how practical it is to be content. He's speaking to Timothy about this idea of, of contentment. See, let, let's go through this just really quickly. He says in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Yet true godliness is contentment sorry, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth, right, which is a great kind of scripture, but doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, right, especially if, you know, you don't speak kind of old English or anything like that. It says this in the message version, which, which helps us a little bit. It says, a devout life does bring wealth, right, so, so, so a life following God does bring gain, does help you, does make you happier, does bring contentment, but it's the rich simplicity of being yourself before God, right? So following God brings you gain. Following God increases your life. Following God makes you feel better, but it's not a guarantee you're going to get rich. It's not a guarantee you're going to be successful. It's not a guarantee that, that your dreams are going to come true. It's the rich simplicity that you can stand before God and be content that He loves you how you are, which is a great idea, but something that's hard to put into practice. Right, if you were to honestly ask yourself tonight, can I stand before God and be content that He loves me how I am? Maybe most of us would say no. No, no, I need to work on this. 
I, I, I need to, to, to improve in this area. I need to, to get to here. I'm not content with where I am just yet. See, contentment is being satisfied with God and satisfied with life, right? Contentment is ultimately being thankful. It, it's being settled, not that you settle, right? It's an important distinction. Not, not that you don't dream, that, that you don't have goals and aspirations and visions. It's not, it's not that you just sit back and say, man, I'm just, I'm just going to see what life brings to me. It's not that. It's not resting on our laurels and just waiting for whatever comes along, but it's being able to be settled wherever we are. Being able to chase something and want it so bad, but at the same time realize that if we don't get it, it's not going to be the end of the world. Right? To apply for that job and want it and dream of it and see yourself in it, but also know if you don't get that job, you won't be destroyed. Right, to, to see that, that person that you'd love to date and, and, and go and ask them out and hope upon hope upon hope that they would say yes, that, that you'd be able to take them out for a coffee, but at the same time, no, if they say no, you can still be all right with who you are. See, see it's important to be able to be content because otherwise we'll be like, like, like reeds in the wind. We'll be blown from here to there. We'll be wondering, why do I go up one moment and crash down another? Because we're at the mercy of wherever life takes us. See, contentment allows us to be grounded. It allows us to weather what we're going through, to still enjoy the highs, but to not be defined by them. And more importantly, to not be wiped out by the lows. See, I don't know if you've ever been in that position where you think life is going all right, and then something comes along and it cuts you out. Right, cuts your knees out from under you and end up on the ground just thinking, how did I ever get to this place where I'm utterly destroyed? Right, this is something we want to avoid, yeah? Contentment is the answer. See, so, so if contentment is, is being settled and satisfied with where you are, the second thing that's mentioned in this verse here is, is yet true godliness with contentment is itself great gain, right? What is godliness? We can so often think that godliness means you, you don't swear, you sleep only with your wife and you obey the speed limit, right? Which those are all good things to do, but it's not godliness, right? That the word godliness actually comes from a pagan word, and, and that pagan word means to be aware of the gods, gods plural, the god of the river, the god of the field, the god of the sun, the god of the wind, to be aware of all of them. And what happens is Paul takes this pagan term and he uses it for Christianity, he takes this term and he says, this is a good term applied to a false concept. Here's what it truly means to be godly. To be godly means to be aware of God. Not the gods, not the forces going on around us, not the stream, not the, the animals, not the sun, not the field, but to be aware of the one true God who defines us, who holds us together, who gives us a reason, who, who keeps us standing, right? To be godly is to be aware of God, right? Really what, what, what he's saying here is that the essence of godliness is to be God-aware. And if we're aware of God, it's hard to not be thankful. If we're aware of God, it's actually really hard to not be content if we're truly aware. right? If we're aware that God holds us together in every moment. If we're aware that, that God lets us bring air into our lungs and push it back out. If we're aware that God holds together the quantum mechanics that we can't even understand that allow the atoms that, that make up us and everything around us to not just split off into nowhere again. Right? If we're truly aware of God, it becomes really hard to not be thankful. Right? If every step you take, it's, God, wow, I'm still alive. God, wow, I'm still alive. God, wow, you, you didn't let me become nothing. God, wow, I'm still alive. It's hard to be discontent with the fact that, God, I didn't get that car. Right? Or, or, God, I didn't get that job. Or, God, I'm not satisfied with where I am. It doesn't mean those things don't hurt, but, but it's hard to, to not 
have them in a different perspective. See, see what, I'm, what I'm getting at here is, is it's kind of a full circle, right? We're, we're robbed by our inability to be content, right? It ends up in the space where, where we're in that Facebook conversation, right? We quit Facebook and we feel so much more happy about our lives because really all Facebook lets us do is compare ourselves to more people more often, right? To, to amplify our discontent. To say, man, actually, I'm not as well off as them. I'm not as good as them. I'm not doing as great as them. I'm, I'm worse off than them. They've got a prettier girlfriend than me. He's got a better car. He's got a better job, right? And all of a sudden, everything about our life sucks because we've been able to compare ourselves to, to cropped, filtered, picture-perfect moments of other people's lives, right? Which in itself is, is stupid, but we won't talk about that, right? But we, we create a space of discontentment in our lives, and because of that, we find it hard to be thankful, Right? Do you ever wonder why it is that, that people in third world countries seem to have a different relationship with God than, than we do? Right? Why is it people in, in Africa or, or Malawi, that's still in Africa, right? But why is it that there are people in, in these other countries that, that seem to suffer so much, that seem to have to walk miles to get drinking water? Why is it that they can seem to have a, a different relationship, perhaps a closer relationship to God than we can? Right, maybe it's because they can be more thankful than we can, even though they have less to be thankful for. Right, they're not surrounded by discontentment. They're not creating this false environment around themselves of I'm lacking, I'm lacking, I'm lacking, I'm lacking. And instead, they're just thankful, God, I'm alive today because my friend died yesterday. God, I got, I got clean drinking water today because I haven't had it for, for two days. God, I, I, I managed to, to make it through the winter without getting some horrible disease. God, my family is still all alive. God, my child made it past their fifth birthday, which many children don't in my village, right? Maybe they're in a space where they can be more thankful because they're not surrounded by this false discontentment that we create in this Western world, right? This, this Instagram culture, this Facebook culture where we're always comparing, always wishing for more, always comparing our worst to someone else's best, Right, see, how do we become God-aware? How do we become godly? We need to start with being thankful, right? But it's, it's, it's all a matter of perspective. The same guy, Paul, who writes this letter to, to Timothy, he, he writes another letter to a church in Philippi, and, and he says this. We'll chuck it up on the screen. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. He says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know to how to live on almost nothing or how to live with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. See, we need to understand who is Paul, right? For some of you, I know for me, Paul for a long time was just some random old dude who wrote a lot of letters in the Bible, right? And seems to always be giving me instructions. And I'm like, yo, Paul, relax. Like, why are you telling me to do all these things? I don't understand who you are. Where's the stories about Paul, right? Sometimes Paul can be hard because we can read the Bible and there's more letters of Paul than there are kind of moments of Paul's life. And so we don't understand who it is that's writing us these letters. That's why it's important to read all the Bible because otherwise you can just be like, man, I'm reading Romans and Paul's really bossy, right? And then unless we go back and we, we read through the epistles and we see who Paul is and, and what he went through and, and the character that he, that he had, we don't understand where he's coming from, which is important, right? That's a side note. But Paul is this guy who has had the worst life you can imagine, right? He's born into what we can presume is a well-off family, 
right? He has a good job. He's, he's basically a Pharisee. He goes around and, and he makes sure people keep the law. He's respected in his community. He's, he's on the same kind of standing as a, a lawyer or, or a, a member of parliament, someone who people look at and, you know, he might walk down the street and they might get out of the way. They're like, sorry, Paul, you know, you're going through. He was Saul then. Sorry, Saul, you're going through. Bible changing names, it's confusing, right? And, and so he's got this good life, you know, he's probably well paid. I don't really know how that worked then. Maybe he just got room and board. But his room is nice and, and his food is great and, and people respect him, right? He's well off is what I'm saying in a roundabout way. Well off. Yeah, you got it, right? And then he's on the way to kill some more Christians, which is just what he does on a Saturday. And, you know, he's riding along the road to Damascus on his donkey. And Jesus appears in a flash of blinding light, knocks him off his donkey and changes his life, right? Which is good. It is a good thing. But here he is, he now can't do what he was doing anymore because he's encountered this God who's changed his life. He's like, man, I have to tell everyone that God is amazing. And, and so he goes and he starts trying to do this. But, but as he's trying to do this, he encounters severe opposition, right, from people, first of all. He, he goes there and, and they don't seem to like what he's telling them, usually because it's kind of destabilizing the position of power in that current town. And they're like, hey, we're kind of making some money off of exploiting these guys' guilt. Um, can you stop telling them they don't need to feel guilty anymore? And so they try and drive him out, right? And so they, they whip him publicly or, or he comes into a town and people call him names and, and, it, and it's hard. And so then he starts to, to travel across oceans. But it seems that most of the time he gets in a boat, the boat ends up getting shipwrecked, right? And so here he is. He's like, man, God, I'm trying to do what you're telling me to do. But every time I seem to get in a boat, I get shipwrecked. And then there's this one time where he gets shipwrecked, managed to, to find an island. And, he, and he's at this island. He's like, man, that was really hard. And these people... Uh, you know, welcome him on the island, and they build a bonfire, and he's like, yeah, and he's warming his hands by the bonfire, and all of a sudden, a snake jumps out of the bonfire and bites his hand, right? It's not an easy life being Paul. He hasn't had a, a good run of it. He's, he started in this place of riches and plenty, and now he's in this place of, of being old and, and worn out, and he talks about a thorn in his side, right? He's got some sort of health problems, and he's, he's being chased by people, and his ships keep on seeming to wreck themselves, and snakes are biting him, and it's just not a great time to be Paul. And yet he writes this letter to Timothy, right, saying, be content. And yet he writes this letter to, to Philippi saying, I'm, I'm content wherever I am. I'm content if, I'm, if I have a full belly, but I'm also content if I'm starving. And he has been starving, right? I'm content if I'm free, or I'm content if I'm sitting in a jail surrounded by other people's feces, right? I'm content if I'm, if I'm you know, healthy, or I'm content if I'm being whipped in the public square. He, he's, he's saying these things, and he's lived through them, right? Paul is telling Timothy to be settled and content in the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, because he has. And he goes on to say this, Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, right? Which some of you might be like, I think I've heard that before. You know, I wouldn't call myself a Bible scholar, but I recognize that one, right? Philippians 4.13 is, is, is like the original Christian bookmark verse. It's just what we, we print on everything, right? We're like, ah, you just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Here, have a bookmark. It has Philippians 4.13 on it, right? If you've been in church for more than two weeks, probably at some stage someone gave you a bookmark and was like, here, welcome to a Christian club, Philippians 4.13 bookmark. Which is great because it's an important verse, but at the same time, what often happens with these, these popular verses, even though they're made popular because they're so important, that they lose their relevance, right? It just becomes words. And, and I think if we, if we go to the message version, we can see what, what's actually going on here, right? Maybe we can understand it at, our, at a fresh level. We'll chuck it up on the screen. It says this, Philippians 4.13 in the message translation, whatever I have 
wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Or see, what this is saying is, is that following God doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. Right? Following God doesn't necessarily mean that your dreams will come true. Following God doesn't mean that everything's going to come up roses for you. But, but it does mean that you can be happy when the world is falling down. Right? It means that, that your life can be falling down around you, and, and it might not feel like happiness, but you can be content in that space. You can be in that space and say, God, I know that this is all horrible, that this is all wrong, that this all feels off, but I can trust you because I know that I can stand before you and you still love me how I am. That my circumstance can be horrible, but you still love me. That you still are there for me. That I can still walk with you. That I might be in the fire, but you're in the fire right next to me. See, what's happening here is Paul has had his world ripped down around him. Right? Continuously, again and again. But because he wasn't defined by anything but God, he made it through. See, the only way that we're going to make it through life the way that we want to the only way that we're not going to be defined by the, the whims and comings and goings of Facebook, right, of Instagram, of comparison, of, of discontentment, the only way that we're not going to feel like our life is eternally horrible is if we get our perspective right. And everything in society is working against you. Everything about society needs to tell you that you want more, that you'll be happier if you just have this, that, that if you can just buy this new thing, right, or, or this new thing, or upgrade here, or, or do this, or look a little bit different, then you'll be happy, because that's how people make money out of you, right, that's how people make money out of you, they tell you that where you currently are is not good enough, but if you buy this product, if you join this gym, if you do this thing, if you follow these steps that you have to pay to understand, then you'll be all right, then you'll feel happy, then you'll be content, finally, and they take you for this ride, and, and you get to where they said that you should be, where you would finally feel happy. You, you buy the expensive shoes. You, you put on the good clothes. You, you get to the right size that you feel you should be. You get the right amount of muscles, the right job, the right girlfriend or boyfriend. You finally get to the place, and you think, now I've attained it, and nothing's changed. Right? Have, have you ever wondered, why is it that there seems to be a higher rate of suicides in Hollywood than, than almost any other kind of microcosm? Right, these people that, that should be happy, they've got everything. Right? We are told by the world that this is what we should look like. Look like a celebrity. Look like this person. And we try and we try and we try without realizing that they are desperately, desperately unhappy. Because what they're selling us doesn't work. Right? Shoes are great. Love shoes. But a new pair of shoes is not going to fill the hole in your heart. Right, a girlfriend or a boyfriend is fantastic. Having someone to spend your life with is amazing, but they're not gonna be your God. It just doesn't work that way. A great job that brings you fulfillment is amazing, and I pray that you get that, but it will never bring you the definition that you need, and yet the world continuously tells us that it will. Why? Because it's the blind leading the blind. We're being told by people who are discontent, this is how you find contentment. Right, the person sitting in the advertising agency who desperately hates their life is writing an advertising plan to tell you how you can love yours. Right, the only way we can find contentment, the only way we can find happiness is if we find the one person who actually was content. Right, the only person to ever live in human history who was truly happy with his life was Jesus. And he died voluntarily. 
right? How can he be in this place where he puts himself through so much and is still happy? Surely he knows something that we don't, right? The only advertising campaign we should buy into is the one that Jesus made because he's not trying to sell us a bill of goods. He's not trying to sell us snake oil that he says, this will make your hair green and it does nothing for us, right? See, what we need to understand is we need to be God aware, we need to, have, uh, to be godly people, to be aware of God because it allows us to be thankful. And being thankful is how we find contentment. Not in the things that we can buy, not in our job, not in our status, not in our life partner. The only way we can find contentment is in God. See, it's not your savings account, it's not your position or your popularity. Your identity needs to be found in Jesus. See, God is the strength and Paul was content in the middle of the ocean, shipwrecked hanging on to a plank of wood, he was still all right because his strength was found in God. See, don't ever underestimate the power of God awareness, right? We can't afford to because after today comes Monday and the week starts and things are gonna go wrong. You're gonna be blown about. The world's gonna come at you and crash down on top of you and unless you are found and defined in God, it's gonna suck. Even when you're found and defined in God, it will still suck, but you won't be defined by it. That the crap can come, the world can whack you, but you won't lose hope because it goes wrong. See, sometimes we can come to church thinking that, that we're a million miles away from contentment. But, but it's, it's not a, a personality contract, right? It, it's contentment is the ability to be aware of God. Christians so often can be so aware of what we are doing, right? Of, of doing it right. It can be this, this twisted sort of performance awareness. God, am I good enough for you? God, am I, are my hands raised high enough? Right, Pastor Jordan's got his hands up here. Should I have my hands up here? Does that mean that God will be more happy with me? Ah, uh, Putty's kind of jumping. Does that mean oh, I should jump? Will God love me more if I jump? Right? Do I have to close my eyes? Is God going to be mad at me if I don't close my eyes? It's prayer time. Is, is God going to hate me if I don't pray? I forgot to pray yesterday. I wasn't praying kneeling down. Does it count anymore? Right? We get into this, this twisted sense of performance awareness, and it would be horrible if this November... When we're meant to be thankful, we were more aware of our prayers than we were of who we were praying to. Right? See, let's not let Thanksgiving, let's not let this month of being thankful turn into an act that we put on for God. Right? God, look how much I love you. God, God, look at how much I care for you. God, look at how thankful I am. Do you love me now? Content, contentment is being truly aware of how much God loves you, just how you are. We need to be we need to be aware of God, right? It would be horrible to be more aware of reading a Bible, more aware of fulfilling our Bible plan than actually learning what it is God wants to say to us. We need to be God aware because that's what our soul needs. If I could just get the band up. You know, what's the whole point though? Right, the whole song and dance, the, you know, Facebook, no Facebook. How does it help us? Where does it land? What's the, the practical application? Right, how do we come out of here different than when we went in? Right, we all want to be content people. That's why we chase things. That's why we buy new shoes. That's why we, we get branded clothing rather than just everything from the warehouse. We, we're, we're buying into this idea that maybe this will make me feel all right. Maybe this will make me feel good about myself. I'll just chase this a little bit more. We want contentment, so how do we find it? Turn with me to, to, to Romans chapter 1, and this is where I'm going to finish. Romans chapter 1, verse 21, I'm going to read through to, to verse 23. It says this, Yes, they knew God. 
but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. See, why do we focus on Thanksgiving for a month? My, my favorite way to think of Thanksgiving, as you might have heard me talk about it this morning, is, is as light. Right, Thanksgiving is like light. And that it doesn't necessarily change the room. It doesn't change your circumstance, but it changes how you see it. Right, I want to try something, and maybe we can do it, maybe we can't, but, but I just want to bring every light right down, right, so it's black. We're going to do it soon. We are going to do it. Give me a thumbs up if we can. We can do it, right? See, see what's going to happen when we bring every light down soon, right? There we go. They're coming down. They're coming down. They're coming down. They're coming down. Right, see, the, the room hasn't changed. The room is the exact same that it was when we came in, but we can see less of it, right? You might not be able to tell, is Putty smiling? Is Putty frowning? Right, you might be able to, not be able to tell, you know, well, is, is Wakash on the base? Where'd he go? <laughs> I'm sorry, Wakash. It was just, it was too good opportunity. <laughs> he's gone, he's gone. Right, but if we bring up the lights, we can see Wakash was there all along. Right, see, it hasn't changed anything of the room, but it's changed how we see it. See, Thanksgiving might not change your circumstance right away, but it will change how you see it. It will change what you're aware of, and so often that is the most important thing. See, when we're thankful, when we choose to thank God for something, no matter how small and seemingly insignificant, it changes our perspective of the world. All of a sudden, that the things around us take on a different light. That thing that we once despised becomes a blessing. That thing that we once strived for becomes insignificant in comparison to the fact that we have a God who loves us, a God who keeps us, a God who defines us. See, Thanksgiving, I think, is all about perspective because it, it allows us to see our precious, our opportunities, our, our circumstances, our situations, our lives, our, our environments, what is happening around us, not just as we see it, not from our flawed and broken worldview, but how God sees it. When we're thankful, it changes how we see things. See, every year, come November, we will always have a series about being thankful because we need these habits in our life. We need to be a people that not just for one month, but every day, say, God, what is it that I can be thankful for today? Even though today sucks. Even though I just failed that exam and I'm going to have to repeat an entire year of university. What is it today I'm thankful for? God, thank you that I can go to university, that I'm in a, in a country that has universities, that lets me in. God, th thank you that I can get a student loan. God, thank you that, that you've given me a brain that I can think with. God, thank you that I'm in a position where I don't have to be working to support my family in some sort of factory. We can change how we see things, and when we change how we see things, we'll change how we interact with them. See, just like if you turned off the lights in a room, no longer could you reach out and grab the thing that was next to you because you can't see it. 
Right? No longer could you walk to the door and walk into the next room because you don't know where the door is. No longer could you, could you pick up the stuff that's on the floor that would otherwise trip you up because you don't know where it is. See, when we forget to be thankful, our minds become dark and confused. And it can feel weird. It can feel wrong. Why does God want us to be thankful? Why can't He just fix the situation? God, I don't want to thank you in this situation. I want you to fix it, make it better, repair it. Right, but God's saying, you're in this situation. We'll work through it, but you need to thank me because the last thing that you need is to be in the midst of everything falling down and at the same time have your mind become dark and confused. See, see tonight what I really want to land this on is I think some of us are here and, and we're dark and we're confused. Some of us are here and, and we know that life isn't working how we want it to. If you're honest with yourself, you look out at your life, you look back on your week, you look into the future and, and you feel this deep-seated discontentment that just feels like a dread. God, I don't know what I want to do next year because I feel like anything I try will fall apart. God, I'm not happy with my last week because I can't see anything good and by extension, God, I feel like I'm not good. See, we need to realize that our minds are dark and confused. They're not going to tend towards light. We're not going to naturally be thankful people. It needs to be a decision, a space that we step into where we change what we see. See, in, in a minute, I'm, I'm going to get the band and we're, we're going to sing a song, right? And when we do, I want this to be your opportunity where you can start to thank God for some things. When you might not feel like it, it might feel wrong, it might feel foreign, it might feel fake, but you can start to speak out thankfulness for the small things. God, I'm thankful that I'm here today. God, I'm thankful that there is breath in my lungs. Maybe that's it, right? But as we are thankful, as we choose to thank God for the small things, the light turns on and we start to see more. Wow, God, I'm thankful that I have breath in my lungs and, and I'm thankful that tomorrow I get to do this. That today I might be in a, a horrible situation, but that I don't have to stay here. Tomorrow this can change. God, I'm thankful that, that you've called me for a hope and a future. We can start to believe the truths that God speaks about us, but we need to create a space within us where we can be receptive to the truths of what God says. Right, to create a space where we can see. So I just want you to stand with me. This morning, if you know that, that your mind is dark and confused, we need to realize that, that God said, let there be light. That when the world began, everything was in darkness. When the world began, there was only chaos. The state that you're in is not a state that is unfamiliar to God. God wants to bring light into your desperation. God wants to draw you out of darkness and into His glorious light to say you have more than you know. You are more blessed. You are called for more. I have a hope and a future for you. But the first step to you seeing it is maybe for you to be thankful. The first step to you seeing it is maybe for you to speak out thanks for the seemingly insignificant things that I've put in front of you. That God wants to trust you with the small things, the little things, and then you can step out into the more. So as we sing this song, I want you to sing the words, but also let your heart turn to God. Start speaking out your thanks.